So I think it is about just, you know, agreeing on a process and how you're going to work and making it like a collaborative relationship. Because I'll often ask him for suggestions as well. I'll be like, I think this needs some sort of like animation. I'm thinking something like this and I might like explain something with my hands, you know, do some gestures. And he'll be able to take that and turn it into something that just looks perfect that I wouldn't have been able to, you know, create myself. So that's really cool. I think that working with developers, you can learn a lot as well. So it's important to try and learn from the people you work with. Welcome to Design Life, a podcast about design and side projects for motivated creators. I'm Femke. And I'm Charlie. Today we're going to talk about working with people who aren't designers. So both Femke and I are designers, but obviously in our jobs we find that we have to work with a lot of people who aren't part of the design industry. Maybe they're clients, maybe they're just other people on our team. And we're going to talk about the issues we face with doing that and how we cope with it, I guess. First, though, our weekly check-in. How is your side projects going, Fem? They're going good. Thank you for asking, Charlie. Uh, at the moment, I am still currently working on my redesign for the apartment website, which has sort of been an off-and-on project for the last couple of months. I've been working on it sort of whenever I get some spare time and being, you know, Christmas break at the moment of this recording, I've got a little bit of extra time. So that's been really nice to focus on that without having other distractions get in the way. So I'm really looking forward to that coming out hopefully early next year. Maybe if I'm lucky by the time this podcast is out, it might even be live. Who knows? Well, we'll leave a link in the show notes then. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that extra pressure there. Um, (laughs) But what about you? How, How have you been going at this busy time of year? The busy time of year has been really good, I think. I've actually found it really motivating. I'm thinking forward to what I want to achieve in 2016 and what I want to plan and how I'm going to fit it all in, basically. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I've been spending the past wee while planning out my, like, I I guess you'd call it editorial calendar. (laughs) That sounds really official, but basically just planning what kind of videos I want to make and planning which weeks I'm going to make them so that I can start getting organized and getting them made for next year. That's cool. I saw recently you did a video on your design resolutions for 2016. Yes. So I'm like, I often set resolutions for like, you know, get fit, eat healthy. But I decided this year that I just shouldn't worry about that sort of thing. I want to focus more on my design career in 2016. So I wanted to set some goals in place for how to achieve the things that I want to achieve and how to make that happen. Yeah, I quite liked that your goals weren't super specific or limiting like they were quite broad and you had sort of a category for each one like learning playing you know and I thought that that was really cool and really interesting to see and it got me thinking too about what I want to achieve design related next year so everyone should go and check out Charlie's video it was really inspiring. Can you share with us one thing that you decided you did want to achieve design related in 2016? Yeah I think it got me thinking more about the kind of side projects I do and A lot of the side projects that I have done and are currently doing are quite serious and I think I'd like to give myself a bit more of a open, fun, flexible brief and just do something a bit more for the fun of it. Like 
you know, just something that might not have a lot of meaning, but it's just super fun to do. So I think I just want to let myself go loose a little bit more and push the boundaries a bit and not feel so restricted in terms of like, you know, oh, what's the purpose of this side project? Who's it, who is it going to benefit, et cetera, and just do something that's a bit more fun. That sounds awesome. I think that's really important. So I'm glad that you're going to look to do that. So today's topic, working with people who aren't designers. Am I right, Fem, in assuming that in your job you do find that you work with people who are, you know, outside of the design industry quite often? Yeah, well, with my client projects, I mean, my clients often aren't designers. And I know that some people might now be thinking, oh, but they're they're your client, like you don't have to work with them. But the kind of projects that I do are quite collaborative with my clients and I do actually go back and forth and and I mean we do have a working relationship so you know working with my clients that is one example of where I do have to work with someone that's not a designer because you know otherwise they probably would do it themselves that's why they're hiring me. Do you get that as well when you're working with clients? Is your relationship with them quite collaborative or do you kind of take on all the responsibility and only sort of talk to them at the end of the project? I, I, I wouldn't say that it's collaborative in a way that I take on their suggestions as such. I like to work with clients in a way where we set a brief and we decide what their aims are and then I'll go ahead and do the work. I don't tend to show them a lot of progress along the way. I prefer to just like make the decisions myself and know that I've got enough information from them and that I'm designing something that's going to benefit them. But I don't do the kind of freelance projects you do, I imagine, with designing websites freelance. There's much more of that is necessary. I find, though, that I work with non-designers quite a lot just in my day job because at the company I work for, there are only three designers and I'm the only designer on the marketing team. So that means that I'm working with project managers, with copywriters, with like the marketing manager, with campaign people, you know, a lot of different types of other creative fields, I guess, like all those are creative jobs. But yeah, often I'm not working with other designers on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So for me, when I say I have a collaborative relationship with the client, it's not really me sending like hundreds of revisions back and forth and asking them for their opinion on the tiniest, you know, details of, you know, button placement or whatever. Uh, But for example, one of the client projects I did recently uh, was a website for Need Apart, and we'll link that down below. Uh, and when I started the project, the client sort of had a rough outline of content, but it wasn't fully structured. So we sort of had this working Google Doc, and I kind of helped him with a bit of the copywriting and sort of the order of things and, you know, headings and that kind of stuff. And, you know, because that all is important when it comes to designing as well because it you know depending on the importance of the content sections and things you know can really influence how I design it so that's sort of more what I mean by having that sort of collaborative relationship with the client that's just an example that's a really good point and I think I have that sort of collaboration with the copywriter that I work with at the the startup that I work for mm-hmm Often we'll work together to like write a web page, like with your need of heart example. And for example, a heading that he's written might not fit in the design. 
and I'm maybe I'm feeling like this heading is just too long, like it's going to yeah. look overwhelming. It's, you know, because I'm trying to keep the styles of my headings consistent across the pages and with the font size that it is, it means it looks way too big and shouty and that it just needs to be a couple of words. So I'll get then work with him on that to, you know, ask him to shorten that and make suggestions myself if he's interested in hearing them. Yeah, I think design and copywriting go hand in hand. You're right. Speaking of design and copywriting, there's an article on Fastco Design that came out a couple of weeks ago and it's called Designers, Stop Asking Copywriters to Punch Up Your Work. <laughs> and it's basically some practical tips uh, for both writers and designers on how they can work together because especially you know when you're doing websites and, and things like that or even if you're doing print design and you're working with a copywriter, that is a very collaborative relationship but I think often is very hard to perfect so it's a really great article giving you some tips on working with copywriters so we'll link that down below in the show notes. Definitely and didn't I see that article in your newsletter? Yep this week we did. <laughs> good timing right? <laughs> yes maybe then we should also put a link to subscribe to the apartment newsletter because that is an awesome resource of good articles like that. Thanks Charlie. I think what it comes down to with working with non-designers, maybe just to skip ahead a little bit, but I think it comes down to respect. The stop asking copywriters to punch up your copy is a good example. It's just like, it would really annoy us if we had, you know, someone saying to us, oh, just, you know, make it, give it a little bit more pizzazz, you know? It's that same yeah. sort of thing that just shows a lack of understanding and a bit of a lack of respect for the the creative talents of the person that you're working with. And I think it goes both ways. So as designers, we want people to treat us with respect and we have to treat the people we work with with respect as well. Yeah, totally. And I think especially, you know, in your role where you're working with so many different kinds of people, you know, lots of different job types. I mean, how do you, how do you deal with that then? How do you sort of learn or understand more about what each person's role in your company is and then respect that. Do you have anything to share? Yeah, it's it can be quite difficult. I find that I spend the first few weeks on the job really because I did just start my new job back in, I think it was July or June, one of those two. So I spent the first few weeks sort of just getting the lay of the land and seeing how everyone worked, you know, because everyone has a different working style as well. And, you know, getting to know how it's going to be the best way to work with them by just observing and talking to them and yeah, yeah seeing th how things go. But it also comes down to me educating them on where I fit in the process, because as a designer, it is up to us to inform non-designers of that in a way, because what other people may know of the design process might not be the full story, totally. if that makes sense. Have you ever had to work with someone who hasn't seen the value in design? I'm really interested to know the answer to that. I don't I don't know if I've worked directly with someone who didn't see the value in design. And I think that's because I'm I'm not gonna say picky about who I work with, but I'm very particular about what kind of projects I take on. Yeah. And so and, and it goes the other way too. So sometimes I I get a brief and I think it's going to be, you know, a super cool project and I might make a proposal uh, which could then get declined and, you know, maybe the client goes with someone else. And, you know, for me, while there's probably lots of other factors that led 
them to that decision of not working with me. Uh, sometimes I'm also glad that that happened because, you know, upon meeting them and talking and discussing with them, you know, face to face, you know, I learned more about them and, and maybe they weren't the, cl- the right client for me and maybe they don't value design as much as I do. Yeah. But what about you? Have you worked with people that don't value design? It's not that they don't value it, I don't think. It's that they don't understand it. I've worked with people who haven't really worked with designers before, like it's a new thing for them. So all they know about design is basically their impressions just from what they've seen in the media, maybe on TV, you know, and just looking at things and thinking, oh, designers' pictures. Yeah, or designers making things look pretty. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, when I first got into the industry, I would see that and get really angry and be like, what? How can you not see? You know, but as I've gotten more into it, I've realized that it's completely not their fault that that is how they see design and that it is up to us as designers to educate them on that and to tell them how it is and how design works and explain the process and explain where we fit in and explain that we should be involved along the way in the decision making and that we're a really useful part of, you know, the marketing team and we're part of what drives sales and we can increase conversions by doing certain things and all that, you know, business talk that we're actually really useful. Yeah, totally. And I think it's also easy to forget that people who aren't designers don't know all the design lingo and all the design terminology. And I had an example of this happen to me just yesterday. I was working on my redesign for the apartment uh, and I work in sketch and I had my guides turned on. So I have like these big like grey boxes or grey strips, you know, over my work so I can align everything. And uh, my friend was sort of looking over my shoulder and and he was sort of like, so what are the grey boxes for? Like, I, I don't, I don't get it. And, you know, that's that's just a great example of like he actually thought that that was like my design, you know, and 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 didn't comprehend the sort of fundamental design things of you know alignment and that's sort of my grid system, etc. And you know I can just turn that off with a shortcut. Yeah. So I think it's also important to remember that kind of stuff too. And often when I show my work to someone, it's for me it's usually a work in progress, and maybe I'm just asking for their opinion on something, and they'll start commenting on all the sort of tiny things thinking that it's the final piece and so you know I might have lorem ipsum in a title somewhere and they'll start commenting like what what is that why why is that there I don't get that bit like are you going to change that and I'm like yes yes this is just an example you know it's just a work in progress ignore the lorem ipsum it's more about just I want your feedback on overall aesthetic that kind of thing so I think that's also important to remember as well is that people who aren't designers will like take, you know, see every little thing as as true or as fact when for us like it's just either a work in progress or it's a design convention that they don't know about. Totally. I have definitely experienced this as well. Actually, I have a funny story about someone like, you know, seeing a work in progress design. I sent around a wireframe for a conference website to all of the event managers at the company that I worked for to get their feedback on the overall structure. Like I wanted to know if these were the pages that they imagined being useful, if there's any more that I had overlooked that needed to be added. And because it was a wireframe, I make sure that I only work in like the basic font, use Helvetica for everything and everything that's just like grey boxes to show vaguely what a layout might potentially be. Yeah. 
But because I hadn't explained what a wireframe even was to this person who I hadn't really worked with before, I got a piece of feedback saying, hmm, is this shade of grey a bit too sad? And I was like, "Uh, well, where do I start? But you know what? Like, I laughed and then I realised that that's totally my fault that she thought that, you know? I always make sure now, I've definitely learned from that, that I explain everything probably a little bit too much when I share around a work in progress design. So I use a tool called Envision, which will be linked down below in the show notes. And I'll leave little notes everywhere on a design that I'm showing to be like, this bit won't be like this. This bit will have this, but we're waiting on this copy for it. This is not the final picture. That's still to come. You know, and I'll explain pieces so that people can understand a bit better. Do you find yourself doing that as well after your experiences with that? Yes, that's definitely something that I've started doing too. So I never used to annotate my design. I would, you know, write up an email or something and and attach the design. But yeah, I had similar experiences to you where people were just a bit confused about things. And, and this doesn't even need to necessarily be the final design, like even a wireframe, like you mentioned. And so now I send you know, let's say I send the wireframe as like an image and then I also send an annotated version of it as well. So I explain what each thing is because I guess to me, I know that a grey box means image, for example, but they're not necessarily going to know that. And so, yeah, now I annotate as much as I can because, you know, I know that they're going to be asking a lot of questions. I think that's really important and I think being clear is definitely another key thing in dealing with people who aren't designers because it just comes naturally to us now you know all the you know the lingo like you said and you know the conventions and knowing what a wireframe is that's just second nature to us and it sometimes it can be hard to remember what we didn't know before we started design Mm, you know totally There's something else that I want to bring in here. And even though you and I, Charlie, we're not really logo or or branding designers, I have a friend, a local friend here, Naomi, and she does a lot of uh, logo and branding work. Great designer, by the way. And I was speaking to her a few weeks ago. We sort of meet up once a month and she was sharing how occasionally she'll get requests for a logo. So, you know, people want a new logo done and she sort of has this, in my opinion, great sort of philosophy uh, where, you know, she she tries to convince the client, or you know, depending on whether the client needs it or not, but let's say they do, uh, she'll try to convince them, you know, it's not just a logo that you need, you need a full branding or, you know, a visual identity. And I think that's a really great example of non-designers thinking, I just need a logo, when actually you need a whole visual identity for your brand you know a logo is just one thing that you know might live at the top of your website or as your twitter profile image or something but your brand as a whole is so much more than just a logo and I think that's a really good example of something where design does hold a lot of value and as designers it's easy for us to see that but for non-designers I think that's a little bit more difficult to understand would you agree? Yeah, definitely agree. I think it's as designers, it's our job to communicate the value of design. I think we talked about this back in episode five about working for exposure, but we have to be the ones to stand up for our industry and communicate its value to people and let people know what design actually is and what we do and why it's worth it. Yeah, something else that I've seen going around lately is 
clients giving a very, very extensive brief, like extremely particular to the point where it's like, just do it yourself because you've got so many rules and and things that you want so particular. Uh, I saw this one recently, uh, a well-known blogger, I'm not going to mention who, but a well-known blogger wanted a new logo and they created something like a 40-page document or like a slideshow of like all of the requirements and like examples of what what to do and what not to do and like very, very particular about the layout and the font that they wanted and the colours that they wanted. Like they, by, by the end of the document, they'd basically designed the thing themselves and, you know, they send this around to, you know, a few hundred designers hoping to catch one that will want to do it. For this particular one, there was no compensation for the designer either as far as I know. What? Yeah, oh it, it was. it was just... <laughs> I don't know, things like that make me a little bit mad. And I think that's a good example of of someone, you know, who clearly does not see the value in design at all. And they're just looking for someone to create them a logo of, you know, that they've basically already designed themselves. And I personally wouldn't wouldn't do that project or wouldn't work with that person. But yeah, I don't know. I would be cautious if you're being approached by people like that, that just have a very particular brief and before you even get the chance to say hi or introduce yourself, they lay out the entire, you know, brief on you in an email or whatever. I don't know. I would be a bit cautious of that because, you know, that would be a red flag to me that they potentially either don't respect you or don't really see the value in what you do. Perhaps we should do another episode about uh, finding good clients and how to, you know, pick out a good client because it sounds like you've got a lot of really good insights to share on that. Yeah, I, I guess I do. I It's easy to say yes, I think, especially when you're starting. But I think I'm at the point now where I'm confident in saying no. And that's something that's taken me a few years. That's awesome, though. So, yeah, maybe that would be an interesting topic. Cool. Well, maybe we should put that down for an, a future week and we can, can tweet out some questions about that. Yeah, sounds good. So we tweeted out asking if our listeners had experience working with people who aren't designers and we asked them to tell us about an issue that they'd had to overcome in the process. And we got a few really interesting tweets back. It had quite a good conversation with people. So make sure you follow us on Twitter. We're at Design Life FM. Anna said that, like you, Fem, it's the design mumbo jumbo that we use daily and forget those words aren't necessarily in others' vocabulary. Mm. She said that all she has to do is talk to her mum about a project that she's working on and see her eyes gloss over. And I totally get that. You know, as designers, we get super passionate about things and start talking about, you know, in terms that we know and stuff that we're passionate about, like that other people might not necessarily have any understanding of. So it is something to be careful of. She did add, though, that uh, she thinks that one thing a lot of people have in common is the ability to understand visuals, and that's why we are lucky as visual designers, because we can provide clarity through the work we do. And that's a really good point, I think. Yeah, I think also on that there's an underlying challenge there in that first you have to convince the other person to give you the time to create that visual that will help explain it better. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it can be hard, especially in like in my situation where I work in-house, so not with clients, but you're in a meeting and they've said what they need to get from, for example, a web page and you know exactly what you need to do for it, but you know, then it's convincing them that you have understood and maybe you might need to quickly sketch out a wee wireframe and talk through it. That's often what I do. So I'll get on the whiteboard or just on a piece of paper and 
you know, sketch out a basic page being like, right, so we've got this content that will sort of go here. This one's more important than this. So this could go at the top. So I'm not designing the page in any way. I'm just sort of like arranging it in a way. Mm. And I find that that gives people confidence in what I'm doing and yeah, yeah, really helps. I really liked Zach's attitude in response to this tweet. He said that working with non-designers is the best part of his job and that he'd rather work with people of different backgrounds and perspectives, but that an issue that he has is setting expectations. First of all, I love that the best part of his job is working with non-designers. I think that's a really cool attitude to have. Yeah, that's super cool. I find that too with working in this marketing team of lots of different types of creatives. It's helped me learn more about the other different types as well. Like I'm sure working with copywriters closely has helped me with my own blog writing. And I definitely know that working closely with developers has helped my own coding skills. So that's another good attitude to take is to try and learn from the people that you're working with, whether it's clients or, you know, other people in your team. So we then asked Zach if he has any tips to share about how to set expectations when working with people from different backgrounds. And he recommended that it's good to set out a timeline from their deadline, uh, which also lets you lay out your process and to share your other commitments and their scope. So I think that's really important as well. And I think it's also a challenge there to communicate with one another. I think that often sort of gets fallen by the wayside. And again, like we talked about earlier, you know, as designers, we know fully what our design process is and it's sort of our job to communicate that with non-designers. And so that's a great piece of advice there. So I think what he's trying to say is that everybody should sort of communicate what their own process is and how that fits into a timeline of things so that you know, you know, where you fit in the whole scope of the project. So I think that's some really good advice. Definitely, because often design can take longer than someone might think. And also you might have other stuff on, like even though a design might only take, say, seven hours to complete, that doesn't mean you can get it done in the next seven days even because your days might be full of other things. So it's important to communicate and let people know when to expect something back from you. He also went on to talk about sharing how you prioritise projects and, you know, communicating what your priorities are. So with you, Charlie, do you often have to communicate what your priorities are during your day job? Definitely all of the time because I've got people coming to me constantly with little things they need and it's obviously really frustrating for them when I can't just stop and do this tiny thing like prepare a logo at a certain size for them, you know, because it is a small job and it seems like I should be able to do it right away. But it's up to me to communicate that, sorry, I'm working on this thing right now that really needs to be in by this time. So I have to get that done first, but I'll work on your thing and I'll generally give them a day that I will promise them that I'll have it ready by. And I'm generally quite conservative with that as well, so I can give myself a bit of leeway. Yeah, I often have a lot of things going on as well. And for me, it's a matter of communicating with my partner, Owen, who sort of works as my developer, uh, what things I'm working on. And I think sometimes it can be a little bit difficult because he can't really fully start until I've finished you know because he needs the full design to start and so he'll be like pressuring me for something but I've got something else that's a priority for me at the moment and then so he's kind of in this limbo like waiting that can be a little bit tricky sometimes and I think it's just a matter of communicating and probably a little bit more preparation from both of us to make sure that we kind of line up at the right time. 
definitely. I think that leads well into another response to this tweet we had too. Uh, Prismec said that developers often don't understand that, for example, a website has to be coded pixel perfect and he finds it so annoying. And I get where this statement is coming from because to start with, when you first start working with a developer, you give them your design and then you get the site back and it doesn't look exactly the same. But what you have to understand, I think, is that not everyone has your eye for perfection. As a designer, we're trained, right, to see all the little details Mm -hmm. and to see when things are off by even a pixel. It looks wrong to us, but it just doesn't to other people. Those sort of small details just don't stand out to people who don't have that design eye. And that can be really, you know, difficult to understand at first, I think, because it seems so obvious to you, but it's not to them. Have you ever had that situation before, Femme? All the time. And it's something that I still, you know, struggle with now. So Owen being my developer, I sit right next to him and he probably finds me super annoying because I have the ability to look over his shoulder and move a little bit that way, a little bit that way. And that must be super annoying for him. But uh, yeah, I mean, I am very particular and, you know, he'll send me a link to what he's coded and he'll be like, here's the latest, like refresh the page and check it out. And you know, immediately I'm like, the colour of that heading's wrong, the spacing in that one's not quite right, like, oh, that one needs a little bit more padding, you know, the tiniest things. And as a designer, or or as the designer, I suppose, of that page or that design, it can really bother me. But yeah, I'm hearing you and I'm taking your advice because I think I need to get better at, at understanding that not everybody will see those tiny things as much as I do. And that while I have seen the original design and my design, others haven't. So they they won't even know. And it still looks really great. And I think I just need to get better at accepting that. No, I don't think you need to get better at accepting it. I think that those small details are really important because they do come together to like give the overall thing polish, even if people aren't noticing them. I think it would mostly come down to the process between working with a developer, that's how I find anyway, is that if I annotate things well and if I keep things structured, so like all of my headings are this size and the spacing, you know, having a bit of a pattern going like that makes it easy. And I tend to give feedback in one lump rather than like little bits, like as much as possible anyway. So what I'll do is when I get a web page build back, I'll take like a screenshot of the whole page. I use a tool called Paparazzi for that, which is really useful. I'll link that in the show notes. And then I'll go and envision and annotate all the little pieces that need fixing. Like even if it's just tiny things like this button needs to be moved five pixels to the right, you know, I will go and say them all. And then my developer can have this page with all these comments on it to sort of like mark off as a to-do list because it's really fast for them to go into the code and fix those little things, but they can't do it if they don't know what to fix, you know, because they are honestly making an attempt to recreate it pixel for pixel you know they're not like making it look wrong on purpose if that makes sense but it's just that they don't see things the same way we do so other things might not be as obvious so I think keep keep making go and make those changes for you (laughs) I'll make sure he listens to this episode (laughs) sorry Owen if you're listening But yeah, that's definitely something that I've been learning more and more, uh, you know, what requirements or what details the developer needs. And so a lot of people are probably aware of what a style guide is and often will do style guides for logos and things like that. Uh, But style guides for websites are also super handy for developers, as I've found out. Definitely. So if you are 
designing a website and handing off to a developer, I highly recommend putting a style guide together. And that could just be, you know, the typography, the colors, the, you know, any sort of uh, design language rules about your website. Uh, so that could be uh, line weight, for example, uh, any sort of UI elements and states. So I've started to put those together as well for my client projects. And that's been super handy for the developers as well. That's great. I also try and chat to the developer. Like when I started at my new job, uh, you know, I think it was about like four months ago, we would have built the first like website together with my new developer. And I chatted to him and was like, you know, how do you like to work? And asked him to explain like, you know, how he'd code something so I can make sure that my file is laid out in the easiest way possible. Because the easier you make it for the developer, the better the site is going to look and it'll be look that way faster as well. So I try and like fit into his process and I explained a few things that I'd found really helpful working at my previous job with the developer there and how we like to work together. And we've incorporated a few of those things into the process now that we have together. So I think it is about just, you know, agreeing on a process and how you're going to work and making it like a collaborative relationship. Because I'll often ask him for suggestions as well. I'll be like, I think this needs some sort of like animation. I'm thinking something like this and I might like explain something with my hands, you know, yeah, yeah. do some gestures. And he'll be able to take that and turn it into something that just looks perfect that I wouldn't have been able to, you know, create myself. So that's really cool. I think that working with developers, you can learn a lot as well. So it's important to try and learn from the people you work with. Yeah. And then on the other side of that is sometimes I'll have ideas of things that I want to do that aren't possible from a developer point of view. And I think only you can learn this only from experience. And I think it's good to have a sort of understanding about what sort of code limitations there are. And so chatting early on to the developer about your ideas and what you want to do is super useful too because you don't want to get to like the end of the project and, and you say oh by the way we're going to have this super animation-y thing and this is happening and these things are flying in from here and it's going up like that and you know the blood drains from the developer's face and you know it's, yeah. it's either not possible or totally out of scope and so I think having those chats early on as well and having a basic understanding about, you know, what the limitations are and what they can and can't do and what fits into the scope of the project is also going to be super helpful. It's also important, I think, sometimes as designers to to let some things go, like not the details like we were talking about before. I do think they're important, but sometimes there'll be things like I wanted all the images on this page to like animate in together because I thought it would be good for when you're scrolling down the page for something to then catch your eye and keep you scrolling, you know, I thought it was quite important for the, like the UX of the page, but we ran out of time and I could see that it was just going to have to stress the developer out to get that done. So I was like, you know what, I'd rather get, you know, all the text looking right and all these details be, be good. And we can come back to the animation later. So think, look at your project and work out where you could cut back on the scope a wee bit and what sacrifices you can make to get the thing done. And you can make those decisions together with the developer as well because they'll be able to tell you what's in scope and what's not. Yeah, totally. I think the bottom line is that you want the developer to be on your side. So definitely you want to make it as easy as possible for them and completely limit any margin of error or, you know, making the scope 
you know, much bigger than, than it can or should be. And I think that's where things like having a relationship with them early and discussing the scope early on in the project and giving them a style guide and working collaboratively with them is really important. And you don't want to leave it up to them to have to guess things because, you know, it's, it's not going to look or end up as great as it could have been. And I think that same advice can really apply for all other areas of like the business that you might touch, like with your clients, you don't want them to think that a placeholder is the real thing and that maybe they really liked the placeholder thing that was there and then they see the finished product and it's not, you know, same with writers, you might, you know, give an example of a, a space that they can fit their writing in and then the design changes and I think just communicate is is the key always. So I think we talked about a lot of interesting things today and it was interesting to hear from you, Charlie, how you sort of work with people that aren't designers within your day job. And, you know, for me, I work with non-designers in more of a client way. So I think we sort of shared two interesting sides of that, which is quite cool. And I also just wanted to touch on the fact that every day I learn more and more about what the value of design is. And I think as designers... It's our job to teach others what the value is. And it's a little bit unrealistic, in my opinion, to to assume that everybody that is not a designer knows what the value of design is. So I just wanted to make that clear as well, that, you know, just because someone doesn't know what the value of design is doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't work with them or you shouldn't take on that project. I think it's worth seeing that as an opportunity to teach that person what the value of design is. Definitely. And in doing that, you're going to help make our industry better. You know, you're going to do your part to help improve the vision of design. I think it can be quite eye-opening when you leave design school, when you've been immersed in this, you know, 24-7 design world surrounded by other people who are studying design, who are designers, teaching design, to then move into like the quote-unquote real world where not everyone will be like that and you have to start learning to explain yourself and explain what it is you even do. But it's important to talk to as many people as possible, I guess, to get that practice in early. That's good advice. I completely agree. So, Femme, where can people go to find us on the interwebs? People can go to designlife.fm, which is our website, and you'll be able to listen to all of the episodes and you'll also be able to see the show notes for this episode. And so we'll have links to all the various things that we've touched on. And I think there was a lot of things we talked about in today's episode that will be linked in the show yes, notes. Yes, so it's probably worth checking out. What about on Twitter, Charlie? Where can people reach out to us on Twitter? Our Twitter handle is at designlifefm and also on our website you can find the links to both Feminized personal Twitters because we're on there all the time and we would definitely love to chat with you. Yes, please do. Good talking to you, Fem. See you next week. Bye. Bye.